This is the John Oakley Show podcast. The Reverend Dr. Sherry DeNovo, Minister at Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice, and the Arts, and of course, a former NDP MPP for Parkdale High Park. Hello, Sherry. Hello, John. There's an election on, wouldn't you know? Well, you know what? Uh, it is going to stifle me here and uh, basically suffocate me within the next couple of weeks. It's just, I don't know about you, but it's stultifying, I think, is the word to use. But we'll uh, we'll deal with it in good order here in short uh, time. John Capoyanko also with us, Senior VP, Senior Partner and National Practice Lead for Public Affairs in Fleischman Hilliard's Toronto office. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon to you, John. Wonderful day today. It is indeed. And Michael Giles, he's been in government 30 years, current Chief of Staff to Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau. How's Mike? Very good. Thank you, John. By the way, uh, you know this big story that broke earlier this afternoon? A director general of an intelligence unit within the RCMP has been arrested and charged with what entirely we're not sure, but they char- the charges do stem from activities alleged to have occurred during his tenure as an RCMP employee. Uh, he was the uh, RCMP head, uh, Bob Paulson's most elite advisor on issues related to national security and sensitive investigations. And they say likely the only civilian to ever achieve the position of Director General of Intelligence with control over RCMP counterintelligence operations. Uh, It goes on to suggest that uh, he had connections to East Asia and China. Uh, His LinkedIn page says he spoke fluent Mandarin. Uh, Anyway, his role gave him unparalleled access to operational intelligence we don't know the specific nature of the charges, but it sounds to me like uh, this had compromised national security, or Mercedes Stevenson saying as much. So here you've got what could be, allegedly, a traitor to the country. Remember in the old days when they actually used to be <laughs> shot or hanged? I mean, that's pretty serious stuff. This is sedition. Uh, Sherry DeNovo, I mean, what are we to make of this story at first blush? Well, you know, uh, one questions are how secure security is. Uh, and I was looking back, you know, there's been... 2011, 2012, 2013, all the way back to 2007, and you know, there has been somebody who's been you know arrested and charged successfully for espionage in our security system. Uh, and back in 2013, you know, allies said, you know, we're a little, <laughs> this is a kind of shaky relationship here with your country. What are you doing? And, and with probably with good reason. I, I well, think I mean, we're in problem. the middle of an election right now, so nothing much is going to happen. But well. but it does make you question, you know, what's going on uh, with the RCMP uh, that that this happens, and it's not the first time. Well, here's the key, as you just alluded to. I mean, there have been a spate of these things almost every year, and if you're a part of the five eyes, you know, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States, why would you trust our security apparatus? Well, you know, and this is the, this is the question now, I think, and, and John, you'll remember the old days the old spy movies that used to exist where, you know, of course, the umbrella-tipped uh, poison sort of thing being jabbed into somebody. I'm always amazed that this kind of stuff is happening now. These days, you know, you, saw, you heard with, with the, what the Russians did with the U.K., uh, with a spy that was uh, that was in the UK and him and his daughter being poisoned and all this kind of stuff, so it, it's amazing that that this kind of espionage and 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 the stuff that happens with it are still still exists to this day. But what's more troubling is that you expect it in the US, you expect it in Russia and other places, but not in Canada. The fact that it's happening in our home. Uh, turf in our backyard is very troubling, and I think it's going to cause some problems out there. As far as other countries looking at us now with saying, hey, wait a minute, you're not perfect in this space either. 
Well, maybe that's the problem. You know, we're smug about things and uh, suppose that we're, you know, International Boy Scouts and everything is Simon Pure Lily White. And uh, yet here in our midst, we do have, well, we've got a spate of them. And now this just the latest revelation. Uh, Again, it tells me that perhaps we're not a trustworthy partner in Western intelligence. How do you see it, Michael Giles? Well, I think these things have been going on forever. (laughs) Um, You know, there's two reasons why somebody would betray their country. It's ideological or it's usually financial. It's one or the other. Uh, but you look back, you, I mean, you, I don't think Canada particularly stands out. I, don't think, I think Canada probably has a better record than a lot of the countries. You look at Eric Snowden in the United States, you go back to the, in the 1950s and 60s in the United Kingdom with, uh, you know, Anthony Blunt and Kim Philby and all these kinds of things. I mean, one of the things that seems to be interesting about well, these sort of major breaches, they usually occur as a result. The United States had Philip Robert Hansen and, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago. It usually occurs or is is perpetrated by somebody who's you know hit a high level because they're almost unimpeachable. People trust them. People look up to them. They're the ones in charge, and so they're the ones that are most likely to be approached. Uh, in this case, you know the references to China. You're probably assuming this may be something to relate some kind of corporate espionage. But frankly, you know, um, I just think there's there's almost nothing in my mind anyway. You know, short of taking a life that is more despicable than betraying your country. But well, there's got to be some sort of a check and balance. Though, when you think at some point, no matter even if it's Canada, uh, that you get you reach a certain point within the spy agency or within the, within the intelligence community, there's got to be somebody somewhere, some group that's looking at them and saying, okay, let's keep an eye on everybody. Trust well, no one. They obviously did. <laughs> did because they arrested him. But I mean, what we forget too is. Be, you know, this information is shared by all of our allies right. and, and that some of this information is probably putting lives at risk yeah. out in the field. And and so it's very serious. And uh, and it's, it just seems to be happening pretty frequently. I, I don't know. Uh, no. There will be a book and a movie, I'm sure, um, coming out of this. But uh, um, but I mean, for now, um, some, something needs to something needs to be looked at. Well, Eric Snowden in the United States, the number of operations that he compromised was, you know, enormous. And, and this whole stuff with spycraft is is just, you know, it also intrigues everyone's imagination because it has the, you know, I, I remember reading about when they, they caught Kim Philby, it was a British agent, met him in Beirut, and he was looking at pictures on the wall, and he realized that the picture, I think, of Mount Ararat was taken from the wrong side, so it had to have been taken from the Soviet Union, and that was sort of uh, Philby's joke that nobody ever noticed that this the mountain was facing the wrong way. It should have been taken from Turkey, it was taken from the Soviet Union. But uh, that was sort of confirmed in this person's mind. But there's this whole notion of spycraft and everything else. But like I say, the one I keep referring to is Eric Snowden. I mean, this guy walked out of the, you know, where did he go? He went to China, a country, or Hong Kong, controlled by China, and then to Russia, like two of our, our, you know, the greatest opponents in terms of this world. And, you know, how much did he walk away with? There's nothing more traitorous than this kind of stuff. This is almost, yeah. this is akin to being, you're, having your house violated or stolen. You know, you seriously, you look back, you think, how can anybody possibly want to do this to this country? Well, yeah, it, it compromises uh lives as well as, well, national security and uh, perhaps even tilts a, a balance geopolitically. And that's what Ethel and Julius Rosenberg got sent to the chair for back in the 50s, wasn't it? Absolutely. Well, well don't forget, though, I mean, and, and, and I, you know, I, I despise traders and everything else, but, you know, we're doing the same thing on the other side. This is what we do. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is uh, somewhere along the line, our guy got bought allegedly, and uh, we'll have to wait and find out what the details are, but he had expertise in compu- commu- uh, computers and cyberspace. Uh, so again, you know, and, it's another level of spying. And Michael was talking about the money. I mean, one of these these folks that kind of sold secrets did it for $10,000. Yeah. I mean, we're, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty sad. This is pretty sad. And uh, clearly there's some issue with the Or agency. they get compromised, and uh, then, you know, they give up state secrets because... 
they want to stay you know under the radar here's another story i've got to ask about because uh we heard earlier today brad blair the former interim commissioner of the ontario provincial police filed a 15 million dollar lawsuit for wrongful termination against doug ford and several other top civil servants the press conference earlier today uh where his lawyer uh, Julian Faulkner was saying nothing short of a commission of inquiry will actually give a full airing to these issues of questionable appointments, they call them in quotations, that have literally plagued this government. Do you believe that to be the case? Do we really need a public inquiry on this one, John? No, I think it's a complete waste of time. I think that um, I think there's sour grapes involved. I think there's, there's no question that there might have been some uh, some issues and somebody making calls and whatever, but I think at the end of the day, governments... Um, want to appoint people that they trust and they believe, and especially in top positions. I think there was a, a process in place that went by, and, and you know, obviously this uh, Mr. Blair was was obviously somebody who wanted the job, didn't get it, and I think now is causing some, some problems. Uh, it's his right to do that, but I think it's just a waste of time. And you, Michael? Well, I, I think, frankly, the, you know, we have a lawsuit underway, and, you know, politically there are those who would say, oh, yeah, let's have this commission, you know, commission of inquiry. We have two years, three years of all the hearings and everything. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, there's a lawsuit launched. No judge or a person conducting a public inquiry is going to do a lot while the lawsuit is working its way through the court. You know, I think you just let the lawsuit work its way through the courts, and that's the other, what the, the judiciary decides. But the whole notion of a, you know, a $100 million public inquiry to find out whether, you know, patronage appointments are political, I, I think I can probably do it for 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> or or $10,000. Yeah, no, that's right. There you go. So it's petty politicking and grandstanding. How do you see it, Cherry? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it, it, the, the politics of it is interesting because here you have uh, the Premier, Doug Ford, trying to hide from reporters uh, to give, uh, you know, Andrew Shear some breathing room. And there's a, there's a, a press conference about his patronage appointments. Uh, so, you know, this is political. This is political. And it's um, and, and it's also personal. And I think he probably on the personal front probably has some case. I mean, there were patronage appointments. Man spent 30 years with the OPP. But as to a public inquiry, um, no, that's not going to happen. Right. That's a, that's that, that's a pipe dream. And uh, and I and I don't think anybody sees that as a possibility, quite frankly. Well, all right, or it's a maybe threat, but well, it's not a possibility. They see through it for what it is, and uh, again, he's trying to politicize something just out of any scale or proportion to what re- is required. I thought, you know, House got cleaned, they learned their lesson, and we move forward. Political inquiry. So it is political and maybe timed during the election because you're mm-hmm. saying, okay, uh, they're trying to implicate Doug Ford in some way, shape, or form, shoehorn him into the equation. Last night, the debate... I didn't see any of that come up. I just noticed that Justin Trudeau wasn't there. And uh, how did you assess last night's debate if you watched it, John? Well, I thought, uh, you know, the fact that the prime minister wasn't there, or I should say now the leader of the Liberal Party, uh, no longer prime minister technically, uh, given the election call, but uh, I thought him not being there was going to hurt him. I think that, um, you know, some people will debate the fact that, well, he's already going to be, he's going to be in the commissioned-approved debates, which are going to be two French and one English. Um, but I thought him missing there was was a problem. But I thought it made Andrew Scheer look more prime ministerial, to be honest with you. I think that, and um, you know, Elizabeth May and, and Jagmeet Singh had their moments. But I think the positioning of Andrew Scheer in the middle, with the two of them on either side, uh, and him looking in the camera and being very prime ministerial, and also putting all, all of his issues were, were putting the prime minister to account, quite frankly, because that's who he needs to go after. The voters that he needs to go after are those disenchanted liberals who may swing to the conservatives. He's not going to get anybody from the Green or from the NDP. If any voters that are going to those two parties aren't likely to go to the conservatives. So he was in a bit of a tough situation in that regard. Now, that said, I thought Jack Mead did a fairly decent job. He had a huge... Um, um, 
you know, expectations were, were kind of low uh, from the perspective of nobody really knowing who he was and knowing much about him. But he had to come out of this debate strong because of the weak performance he's had leading into it. And I thought he did okay. Elizabeth May just proved that she is amazingly smart on one issue and is coming across as a one-issue candidate. All right. Uh, intended to interject uh, in a lot of places where I guess it wasn't really necessary, but that that was my own personal perception. Otherwise, uh, Sherry DeNovo, I mean, for Jugmeat, his fortunes, uh, they largely rest on these public appearances, especially early. He has to define himself. Nobody knows him. I said to uh, Nelson Wiseman before you guys got here that uh, this was effectively his coming out party. How did you assess his uh, performance last uh, night? I thought he did, and critics say better than expected for sure. I think he, so he that's made a some win. he made some good points, and I think uh, you know got those points done. I, I thought his interjections around uh, kind of equating Trump and and Trudeau and Scheer were uh, were smart, um, but I don't think it's going to make any difference in the voters' mind. Sadly, um, I, I don't. I, I think that. Uh, Trudeau not being there was a mistake on Trudeau's point uh, part, but I think that's an ethical and a strategic mistake. But I don't know that it's going to hurt him in the polls. So it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, where Scheer had the advantage was he was standing in the middle and he was speaking to the camera. Um, and, and I think so people see that image. Uh, but how many people tuned into that debate? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, well, no, again, that was a point know. brought up by Nelson Wiseman. But, you know, again, uh, the perceptive thing does carry, I mean, look, that was Justin Trudeau. The, the the turning point for him in 2015 was the expectations were so low, as long as he advanced beyond a certain threshold, he looked prime ministerial. One might actually say the same for Andrew Scheer last night, and he did hammer Trudeau. I mean, even when he was asked questions about other issues, he always pivoted and dialed it into Trudeau and drew him out. Uh, so to John's point, uh, do you think it was a win for Andrew Shear last night more so than the others? I would have to say yes. For you know, a lot of, most people do not watch these debates, but they watch them on television. You know, the, the newscasts and they see this thing on the television. There was only one person on stage last night who has a remote possibility of becoming Prime Minister of Canada, and the guy who has the job right now, who's walking around saying, you know, this is one of the most important elections in the history of you know Canadian <laughs> politics, doesn't show up to the debate. And and I think it would have been better if he had stayed home if he wasn't going to the debate, because then, you know, this, the next segment in one, many of the newscasts was him standing in a building site. So it's not that there was anything better for him to do. And, you know, I would equate this a little bit to the election in the United Kingdom with Theresa May when she, you know, first of all, she called an election when she was way ahead in the polls, thought this was going to be an easy walk, and then she doesn't show up to one of the major debates. You can almost see a trajectory, if you can actually, in the polling numbers, when she didn't show up to that debate because she was the only one not there. And Jeremy Corbyn apparently wasn't going to go either. As soon as he heard she wasn't coming, he was there. And, you know, people expected the Labour Party to completely implode. They didn't do, you know, fabulously, but they brought her down to a minority government. And so I think, you know, speaking to John's point, yeah, it just there is something to the fact that you have an empty chair sitting there. And that's why Elizabeth May, you know, sort of walked across the the podium and shook an empty hand. There's nobody there <laughs> because the optics are there. And, and, you know, it's not this alone. And I agree with Sherry and Wilson, This alone is not going to defeat the, the liberal government. But when you start adding things to it, it just sort of sets the mindset where people look and say, why can't he show up to the television debate? Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.